Good morning again. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 will be in verses 24 through 29 this morning. I'm going to take a break for just a few weeks here uh, from our journey through uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, I hope you're all enjoying the book of Revelation. I, I know I am. Um, so at least a couple of us. So I saw Ben nod his head. <clears throat> I'm going to take a break for just a few weeks uh, to consider the season of Advent, the coming, the celebration of Christ our King, born in a manger, drawing near to His people. If you will, the the glory of God come to rest in Mary's arms. A king who's come not to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down for his people. Indeed, the celebration of God himself coming to be the suffering servant, the one who would draw near enough to take our burdens, uh, near enough to to actually move them from His shoulders to ours, especially the burden of sin upon His back. And as we consider the season of Christ come, the season of Advent, and we consider this idea of Christ as a servant, the author of Hebrews tells us why Jesus did it. He says in Hebrews 12, verses 2, sorry, verse 2, he says, fixing our eyes, the second part of that verse, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I hope that, real quick, that last phrase there, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, having now gone through a few chapters of the book of Revelation, that that phrase means a whole lot more to you than it did just a few months ago. But he says that phrase in there, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So he's the perfecter of our faith, and he served. He's serving, but he's serving in these ways, right? Who's enduring the cross, despising his shame. Nevertheless, he is serving his people, serving us for the joy set before him. He serves as a man. He served to restore broken creation and serves ultimately to redeem his people and bring glory to his father. And the author of Hebrews says that he did it all for the joy set before him, what an interesting phrase. Jesus served for the joy. He endured the service for the joy. He struggled through the pain even of his father's wrath on our behalf for the joy that was set before his eyes. There was a joy set before him that he could see, that he knew. Indeed, I think you can say that Jesus was a, a joyful servant, that he led, that he led a life of joyful service. I want to read to you our passage for this morning. Colossians 1, 24 through 29. He says this. This is Paul writing. Listen to these words. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Let us pray. Fathers, we 
Study your word this morning as we listen, as we speak. Father, may may your word shine brightly into our hearts. Father, may you energize the service of your people with deep, heavenly rooted joy. Father, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This Advent, I really have really two words for you. It's this, joyful service. Joyful service or joyful servanthood. Joyful service. At Refuge, we talk a lot about the five identities or five kind of core identities for us as people, missionaries, servants, I'm sorry, witnesses, servants, family, uh, and so on. This year, we want to consider the idea of servant, but not just serving, the idea of joyful service, joy-fueled service. This is what we're after, not just people to fill spots in a church uh, where we have needs for volunteers. That's not the ultimate goal. The goal is that God's people would serve joyfully in all that they do, that we would be fueled by joy in every act of service that we do. Now, I'm going to define service the way um, I want you to keep this in mind as we work through it, that service is the idea, at least the way I'm going to use it, is this, laying down your life for someone else. Laying down your life for someone else. Now, that can look a myriad of ways, even to the extent of Christ on the cross, he is serving his people unto death, himself laying down his life ultimately. The service, the idea of laying your life down for someone else. Now let's reflect on service for just a moment. The idea of serving. What does your serving look like? What does your service look like? What does it look like with your time or with your money? Or the talents and giftings and abilities that God has given you? How about especially service unto the body? Again, I, I, I'm, we're thinking about service broadly here, but for a moment, think about it in relationship to the body. That's where Paul is at in Colossians 1. Paul also in Galatians 6, verse 10, he says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. So let us serve everyone. And especially, he says in verse 10, to those who are of the household of God. That there's a unique place and priority of service unto the household of God. Now, we'll be careful because we can do one to the exclusion of the other. It's, It's a both and. But there's an especially... For the household of God. So what does your service look like in both places? What's it look like in the household of God? What's it look like beyond? Consider the quality of your service in the place where you get a paycheck versus the place where you don't. Is there a distinction? Is there a difference? Do you lay your life down more for one over the other? What gets the quality attention in your service? Where there's a huge return that's clear and obvious and tickles your fancy? Or one that's by faith? How about motivations in service? Duty? Anybody ever serve here out of duty? Corbin does. Corbin raised his hand. Amen. You're the only honest one in here, my friend. (laughs) How about self-righteous earning? Like, I've got to do this to earn my standing before God or, or the pleasure of other people. Or how about delight? Serve out of delight. What about this? What's your spirit like, your heart like going into serving and coming out of serving? Going into it, are you looking for what you might get in return? Like, well, what's going to be the return on my investment? If I do this, will it be noticed? Will I get a 
thank you? Will it be worth the time? All right. Or what about this? Are you obsessing over the cost it might bring? In other words, are you penny-pinching the sacrifice? Are you trying to minimize the sacrifice before even getting started? Or are you thankful for the chance, the grace it is to give your life for somebody else? Or how about afterwards? So coming out of the service, is there a critical spirit? A grumbling, a regret, an excessive critiquing of the situation. What's your spirit like about the serving of which you just partook in? So what's your spirit like going into it, coming out of it? Listen, service is hard. Serving is challenging. For those who don't serve often or frequently or well or enough. I mean, think about it. You have to examine whether or not the service fits your abilities and availability. And then if we're just honest, it comes down to whether or not we really want to. On the other hand, for those who are serving a ton, working, serving other people a ton, it's tiresome, isn't it? To give and give, and give, and give. Maybe you're spinning out in your giving, on the verge of burnout in your giving. Maybe you want to check out, give up, run into a corner, hide and cry. I can say I do sometimes. Where's Matt at? He's over in the corner crying. Serving... Is hard. Listen, if it's not hard, you're probably not sacrificially serving from the Spirit, but probably serving from the abundance of your flesh. Like sacrificially giving financially. There should be a measure of sacrifice there that it's hard. Serving is hard. And in Christ, this is our new identity, to be servants. It's our calling to lay our lives down for another. Just as Christ laid His life down for us. And no motivation but heavenly joy can sustain our souls through the toil of serving. Anything fleeting in our motivations will leave our service depleted. The reality is this, if we're to continue through the toil of serving, then like Jesus, we must seek hard after joy-fueled service. Joy-fueled service. And so this Advent, we want to embrace Christ is coming, who will live this life in the flesh, serving His people for the joy set before Him, even all the way unto death. We want to embrace this phrase of joyful service. Joy is the fuel for Christian service. Back to our passage for today in verse 24, he says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the history hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And then verse 28, he says, As him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The first thing I want you to see is the calling is this, to serve one another. What's being modeled for us in this passage is service unto another. The call being modeled by Paul of serving one another, laying your life down for the service of someone else. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but serving yourself ultimately comes from slavery to self and fuels further slavery to self. 
That's the options. It's, it's one or the other. I am a slave to my sinful self or I am a slave unto Christ. And then in one case, I serve myself. In the other case, I serve Christ and His means and His purposes. We were born into sin with a sin nature, right? That longs to serve itself. Slaves. And then the more you feed it, the more it reinforces it. Now, service, though, is tricky. I I want to make sure we're thinking at multiple different levels here. It can look like external indulgence. So serving yourself can look like external indulgence. Here's what I mean. Meaning you can't serve someone else because you got to earn that money, right? I I don't have time to, to lay my life down over here because my job is eating up all of my life over here. There's a good chance I'm doing that because of the money so that I can serve myself with the means. Or maybe an excessive measure of me time. Me time. I put that in quotes for those who are listening on the recording. I don't have time to serve someone else to lay my life down for someone else because I'm too busy picking it up for myself. Or I got to catch up on my Netflix shows, right? I mean, I'm being a, a, a little exuberant here, but or a little excessive here rather, but it can look like external indulgence where I don't actually serve. I, I'm just serving myself physically. But it can also look like internal indulgence. Again, this is again where it starts to get a little tricky, meaning you're doing all the external services and it looks like you're busy on behalf of a whole bunch of other people, but ultimately it's being done for you. It's to serve yourself, meaning you sign up for the next item because it's a duty and you got to prove something or you sign up for the next thing because God won't be happy with you. This is this internal indulgence, either way, external or internal, depending on how it looks. Serving yourself fuels and continues to perpetuate this slavery to self. You'll never be satisfied. And listen, you will burn out. You will burn out in that cycle. If there's a recipe for burnout, it is serve yourself. No matter the cost. But Paul here is modeling for us service unto the body of Christ. Serving the body of Christ. Listen, we have to understand from the outset, this is a huge departure from our natural proclivities and the current of the world. It is arrange everything around you to serve yourself. I mean, that it is by this, manage your schedule this way so that you can be happy, so that you and I can be served. Every ad, every TV, it pushes us that direction. And how we often go along with the current is things like, well, let me get my stuff done over here, and then if I have time, I'll help do this over here. I'll care for my neighbor here or this person in the body here. And then it's interesting how we rarely have the time. But what Paul says here is he's saying, I'm serving for your sake, for the sake of Christ's church. That's us particularly as he's thinking about Gentiles here. He is serving us. He is laying his life down for us. And likewise, we too are called to serve the body and beyond, both internally and externally, meaning internal to our beings, that that inside of us we are doing this for the sake of others, but also externally, meaning what our hands are doing for the good of others. We're to turn from slavery of service to self and turn to the joyful serving of others. And Paul, though, is serving them to what end? To to what goal? What's the aim? He's serving the body to the end that they would treasure Christ, that they would be mature followers of Jesus, that he would be the one who reigns and rules in their hearts. And Jesus says, right, where your 
treasure is there, your heart is. So if Christ is your treasure, there will be your heart. And where your heart is, out of the overflow of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. The hands do. The person serves. He tells us to serve the body. He's serving the body of Christ. We are to do likewise, helping others to treasure Christ that all of their lives would be mature Christians following after the Lord. Now, I, I want to kind of hit on something here that I think is really important. There, there is this cultural idol, I think, in our not just our church but beyond, of getting to serve the way I want to serve or the way I'm gifted to serve. Now, now listen. Those are good things. It's not bad to get to serve the way I'm gifted to serve. Like, that's a great thing. But, but that can't be our starting point. I don't think where Paul here is suffering for the service of the people was his, uh, well, that's me getting to serve where I want to serve. I don't think Paul would classify that as such. Again, getting to serve where uh, in ways that we are good at, that God has gifted us, that's important. And the beautiful thing about where we're at as a church, a refuge particularly, is that as we've grown, we're able to begin putting people into places that they are genuinely gifted at. And we want to do that, and we'll continue fighting to do that. But that can't be our starting point. That can't be the, the beginning expectation. The beginning expectation is Christ laid down his life for me. Let me lay down my life for my brothers or my sisters. This idea of getting to serve when, how, and the ways I want to cannot be the starting point. Again, I doubt that Paul's suffering service is what he wanted or was the way he was gifted. Instead, our aim, our starting point is to serve. This is the why. To serve to the end of Christ treasuring people. That is our goal. Whether we're painting a wall, serving in children's ministry, preaching a sermon, or driving a drug addict to a rehab center. And we would see the aim. How are the means that God has placed us in of seeing people love and treasure Jesus? We serve for the sake of others. We serve to the goal or the end of helping them treasure Christ. And we serve to completion. Serve to completion. Notice what Paul says in here. He says that they would be fully known. Go back to the end of verse 25. He became a minister according to the stewardship from God. So he became a servant to, to proclaim the word, to make the word of God fully known, to see it to completion. Redemption is about completion. So let me ask you the question, do you see your service through? Do you see the acts of service that you're called to? Do you see them to the end? To be fully known. Do you see if the goal of service is that others would fully know Christ and your service is a part of that, do you see that service to the end? Oftentimes, we just want our little checkbox, right? I, I, I did the task that was assigned to me. Boop, boop, I'm done. I can go back to doing what I want to do, right? There we go. We're good. Paul is after the completion of this journey. Not just a little checkbox. So think about how the service that you're you're doing is a part of a bigger piece and ask a bigger puzzle and go, all right, is this bigger puzzle getting completed? Your role is just a small part of the bigger job, the bigger service the bigger 
task to be done? And do we desire to see that task of people fully knowing the word of God and treasuring Christ? Do we, do we want to see that happen or are we satisfied with just completing our task? Do we desire to see him fully known and God's people and those who are not yet God's people to fully know the word? Serve for the sake of others maturity in Christ and see it through. Now the struggle, again, I think is this. How do I get past living for my sake alone and giving myself in service unto others? Um, I don't know if you're like me, but I mean that really is a daily struggle. I can get up, spend time in the Word, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to live for the sake of others today, right? And then before lunch, I've given to myself. I'm now thinking about how things relate to me and what they're going to cost me. And how do I sustain a life of service like this? If this is what Paul is modeling for us, we see Christ living this way as well. How do we sustain a life? I believe the answer is this. Joy-fueled service. A heavenly joy-fueled service. Again, it can't be, though, just simply uh, joy based on circumstances. It can't just be uh, the joy from a thank you or the joy from seeing even a life changed. It has to be something that's heavenly rooted, eternally uh, aimed, a joy that is untouchable by our circumstances. That is the only kind of fuel that will last through the toil of sacrificial service, of costly service. So let's go there. I want to give you two realities of joy-fueled service. The first one is this. Serving brings joy. Serving brings joy. Good, godly, gospel serving brings joy. And I want to show you that here in this passage, why that's possible. How that's possible. Serving brings joy. Let's go back to verse 24. We'll read these these two verses again. Now rejoice... In my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. That was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. So first of all serving brings joy. Look what Paul just said. He says I rejoice in suffering for service unto you, if I could paraphrase. I rejoice in my sufferings as I serve God's people. I rejoice in this. You say, what? Like, Paul, you're a crazy man. Like, when I think of getting to serve, I want it to be timely, painless, and have huge returns, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. There we go. Wow, that was a big response. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. There you go. All right. I'll let the Spirit do with that what He wants. Listen, Paul, there's no joy in suffering. Now, listen, Paul, though, isn't getting joy from the suffering. So what is bringing Paul joy in his service? Because that is the place where you and I must go look for it too. Did you hear that? That is the place where you and I must go looking for it too. I have two of those for you from this passage. The first one is this. Look for joy in knowing Christ's service for you. Look for joy in knowing Christ's service for you. Look for joy in understanding His burden-taking 
for you, meaning him taking your burden. All right, where, where do you see that at? Where do you see that at? Look at this phrase, in my flesh, he says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. What a phrase, right? If you, I don't have time to, to dig and embellish in this portion, but what I want you to see is this. He's not speaking about, Paul's not speaking about Christ's atonement lacking something that must be added to. He's not saying, all right, Jesus didn't suffer enough to redeem you, so I'm going to have to add to that suffering. That's not what Paul is saying. He is saying that basically this, there is a bank of afflictions that must be experienced by God's people. There's a bank that requires a necessary number of of suffering deposits, affliction deposits that will be experienced by not people wanting to be God's people, but by God's people. Until Christ's return, there is a set amount of afflictions that God's people in total will experience. And so that's where he is filling up what is lacking. What is lacking is the deposits made into that bank. Not deposits made into that bank in order to earn our standing before God, but because of our standing before God and walking in His kingdom in a sinful world, we will experience these afflictions, and that has not yet been completed. So He's saying, I am filling up in this bank. I am making deposits into this bank. Now, in order, again, if you remember from the, the Thanksgiving video that I, that I shared uh, early last, or in the middle of, of this past week, the idea of in order to bear someone's burden, we must move close enough to that person in order to actually move it off of them and onto ourselves. That's, that's part of the beauty of the incarnation is Jesus moving close enough to his people where he can take on the burden of their lives and ultimately the burden of their sin and the burden of earning their righteousness. That in order to bear another's burdens, we move close enough to them to actually transfer some of the weight onto ourselves. That we would begin to suffer their burden for their good. That we would serve their burden for that person's good. Again, that is the gospel. That Jesus comes close enough to us, taking the burden of sin, the affliction of sin. He bears the burden of it upon His shoulders, but not in part like you and I do. He takes the whole. And so here's what happens. When you suffer in service for the sake of another, what does it do? This is part where we have to go looking for it. It unites us to Christ. It helps us relate to the afflictions of Christ. My affliction, my being afflicted, for the sake of another, helps me understand. It helps me fellowship with Christ in His sufferings. It helps me understand it more clearly. It helps me appreciate it more dearly. It helps us grasp it mentally, emotionally, physically, the suffering service of Christ on our behalf. It helps us understand His mercy. But listen, our proclivity is not to serve and go, oh wow, this affliction I'm feeling is what Christ felt on my behalf. No, our proclivity in our service is to go, woe is me, why did I have to do this? We have to do the hard work to go look for it. Do the hard work to go, okay, no, 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 this isn't about me. This is one of Christ's ways of helping me understand the affliction that he faced for me. But we have to go look for it. Listen, very practically, in the midst of serving, journal, pray, 
Recite scripture. Ask your brother or sister to help you see it. To help you see that this is what Christ did for you. Ask him. He sacrificed his life. He went through the toil of service. He took your burdens upon his shoulder. And the pain you feel is similar to the pain that he felt for you. And that joy will warm and fuel your service. That's why Paul can say, I rejoice in my sufferings. Why? Because I get to taste and fellowship with my Savior in His afflictions. I don't need to run from it. It brings joy to me, not for the sake of suffering, but for the sake of fellowshipping with my Redeemer. So look for joy in knowing, understanding Christ's service for you. Number two, look for joy in knowing that Christ's body was served. Look for joy in knowing that Christ's body was served. Paul understands that this bank only has so much allotted space in it. And I think what Paul understands is that the more deposits Paul makes, the less his brothers and sisters will have to make. The more he makes, the less his brothers and sisters will have to make. Listen, brothers and sisters and those who are listening online, hear me clearly from the bottom of my heart. There is suffering that you're going through And because you're suffering there, you have spared me. Thank you. Thank you. You're making deposits that I will not have to make. On the flip side, in pastoral ministry, especially in things like proclaiming the word and such, both publicly and interpersonally. There is suffering that happens because Satan loves to attack in those places. There's afflictions that happen. But when I consider the fact that that means less suffering for my brothers and sisters, when I consider the fact that that's less suffering that they have to experience, that brings a somber joy to my soul. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. He doesn't enjoy the pain. He enjoys the understanding, the connection, the uniting with his Savior in his afflictions on Paul's behalf. I rejoice in my suffering, but we have to go look for it. Notice I didn't say, go look for life change or go look for the next thank you. I said, go look for the suffering that you took so that your brother or sister didn't have to. Go look for the places where your life is mirroring Christ's taking of your burden. Go look for the joy that that should bring your soul as you see the Christ in you at work and laying his life down for someone else. Because that could not be attributed to you and I but only to Him and His grace. Listen, true service will lead you to joy in God. Listen, some of you don't feel close to God because the only afflictions you face are the afflictions that come from your self-indulgence and serving yourself. When we're living in the pain of serving self and and idolatries, that doesn't help us relate to Jesus and His affliction on our behalf. But if we would step out and serve sacrificially for the body of Christ, taking their burden upon our shoulders, we would begin to feel the suffering that Christ took for you. Now, on the other hand, some of you are serving like crazy and and caring for other people and you struggle with joy and your suffering service because maybe you've lost sight of Christ's afflictions for you. 
Maybe they're hard to find. Like you know they're there and you know you want to give for these other people and you're, and you're doing this, and, but your heart is, is worn out and, and, and you're, I just don't know if I can keep doing this. And listen, listen, listen. It isn't, well, Jesus suffered that much for me, so this is the least I can do. It's, that's terrible reasoning. It's this, Christ suffered the afflictions I deserve. And as I suffer and serve for the sake of others, I grow closer in knowing the afflictions of my Lord on my behalf. If you're having a hard time seeing that, then my encouragement to you be, and we're real close today as well, is ask the Lord to reveal that to you. That as you go looking for that, that you would ask Him to, Father, help me see that these afflictions are like the afflictions of my Savior on my behalf. What joy that is to know more deeply the affections of Christ for you. To understand that and cherish those more deeply. To understand more fully how much He loved you and what He did to lay His life down for you. To grasp and experience the love of Christ through the suffering you experience for the sake of another person. Wow, what joy that is. Do you also understand that one day this bank will be full? That on one hand, we will not have to suffer any longer. Praise God, right? On the other hand, we will no longer be able to fellowship with Christ in this way. This is a unique time in which we get to relate to Christ in these afflictions. Sure, we may have the memories of them. But it's a unique time that we have. So two realities of joy-fueled service. The first is that when we serve, it brings us joy. Described how that is. And at the same time, joy fuels service. Let's go to verse 27 and 29. He says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then verse 29, For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Joy fuels service. Godly giving of your life for the sake of another is fueled by joy. Now Paul, what's he say here in this passage? He says, I'm toiling to serve another. I'm toiling in this suffering. I'm filling up the afflictions of Christ. Toiling to see His brothers and sisters treasure Jesus and mature in Him. But He's rejoicing too. He's living in this joyful service. But how, Paul? How is this happening? How do we live in joyful service? I have three really quick thoughts here for you. The first one is this. God must reveal the riches of Christ in you, the hope of glory. God must reveal the riches of Christ in you, the hope of glory. He must do this. It says in that passage, God chose to make known this mystery. This rich mystery. The riches of the glory of such. This rich glory is a mystery, again, that must be revealed to us. This cold, dead heart was made able to know and share in God's glory. The hope of glory, Christ in us, means very briefly this, that we get to share in, enjoy, cherish, rest in the glory of God. It's the the glory that we look forward to. That we get to share in that. Enjoy that. And again, if you tying things back to Revelation, like where, what does that look like? We get to share in that glory of the resurrected Savior. That in our, in our suffering service, we should be looking forward to that hope of glory 
hope of glory, a hope of sharing and enjoying and resting in God's glory and His character and who He is for all of eternity. And the reality is this, how else could you and I hope to enter into God's glorious presence? Only by the riches of the gospel. Only Christ can help us there. And as we serve, again, we begin to know and feel more deeply the costliness of Christ's love for us that He would pay to dwell in us and secure for us the hope of sharing in God's glory someday. So God, let's reveal these riches of Christ in you, the rich, the richness that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Two, Christ's joy-fueled energy must powerfully work in us. Christ's, His joy-fueled energy must powerfully work in us. Hebrews 12, 2, back to the passage we said at the very beginning. It says that Christ served for the joy set before Him. The joy set before him was the glory beyond the suffering service. It was the glory of his father that would be revealed in his serving. As he went to the cross, the glory that he would partake in post these things. That was the joy, the joy set before him. And Jesus was energized by This hope of glory. And he went through his suffering for the joy set before him. The joy of the glory of God. And what does Paul say in this passage? What's he say? It is all his energy. Christ's energy. That he powerfully works within me. Wow. Jesus who for the joy set before Him, just this hope of the glory of His Father, He endures suffering service, and it's that energy that's that's powerfully at work within you and I. So I think the last question I want to ask is this, how do we feed that energy? How do we fuel our service with joy? The lastly is this, we fix our eyes by faith on the hope of glory, Christ in us. We fix our eyes by faith on the hope of glory, Christ in us. We go searching, asking for faith to see the glory of God beyond the service beyond the suffering, and realize that our only hope for that glory is Christ in us. Christ at work in me right now. And when we do, to quote Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, he says this, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the the fact that we could have glory, that we could experience rather the glory of God someday and taste it now. Because of Christ in us, we rejoice. We rejoice because we have hope to share, enjoy, cherish, rest in the glory. We rejoice because Christ, our only hope is in us. And what is the result? He says we are filled with joy. We rejoice in this. The same joy that energized Jesus' sacrificial service. The bearing of our burdens. That service for the joy set before Him. The hope of the glory of God, which is Christ in us. We rejoice in that reality. When you and I, by God's grace, fix our eyes by faith in the hope of glory, Christ in us. That same joy-fueled service that Christ lived with is now the same energy that's at work in us. As you're serving, we must do the hard work to go look for this joy. It's not go work harder to get more joy. It's not go like... uh, 
earn these things. But here's how you move beyond serving yourself. Go to the deep, deep well of heavenly joy found in the hope of glory, which is Christ in you. And here's how you care for yourself as you're sacrificially serving and giving and giving and you feel depleted. Go back over and over and over again to the deep, deep well of heavenly joy found in the hope of glory, Christ in us. Over and over again. Go back. Go back. Go back. We pray for us. Father, the proclivities of our heart because of the sin that is at work in us is to either serve ourselves or to try to serve on our own strength. When what Paul wonderfully models for us is what service looks like when we are filled with the hope of glory. When that hope in us because of Christ who died for us begins to fuel the rejoicing of our souls that from there we can say, I rejoice in my suffering service. I rejoice. I have the joy necessary to move forward, to continue giving, to continue working, to continue serving. Father, I I know there are times where we need to reassess our abilities, reassess our time. There are times where we need to pull back or we need to concentrate our efforts in a different spot. There are lots of sober-mindedness that that we as people must uh, think about and consider what am I able to do. And sometimes we overcommit or put ourselves in, in predicaments that we cannot deliver. And Father, those are all realities. But Father, what, what, what we need most, no matter what we can handle, no matter what we may need to do practically, is to be satisfied and driven by the deep well of your joy and be fueled by the hope of glory and the joy that it brings us because Christ has come taken our burden of sin and now dwells in us and it is He and His energy that powerfully works within us. Father, I ask these, ask you to make this a reality in us. That we would know this more deeply. Father, for your glory and our good. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.